It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. In the U.S. Back in the U.S. Back in the U.S.S.R. Oh. Hey, girls in and knock me out. Dave Hanready and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 22022 of the No Popcorn Film and Music Podcast. Of course, related to your beloved No Encore Music Podcast, patreon.com slash no encore if you want to support us. We're back for another discussion about a movie that has a music-related connection, and this time it's Yesterday, which of course is all about the Beatles, how amazing they are, and how much we all love them, and wouldn't it be terrible if there was a world in which you couldn't hear the Beatles again, but maybe someone could profit off that. Joined, of course, by Norma Howard. Hello. And David Higgins, who chose this film. <laughs> I chose it for you, known Beatles enthusiast. I got a lot of hate about the Beatles. Um, I got accused often that I hate the Beatles. Not strictly true. I just don't like them. I just don't get them. They don't encourage my blood to boil or anything, but we'll get into all that when we get into a film that is um, grotesque, if you ask me. But first, what we've been watching, and as noted, this is like kind of a blockbooking situation in terms of us recording these, so I've mostly shot my load with uh, the Christopher Nolan <laughs> Batman trilogy <laughs> in the last episode. Wow. You um, yeah, yeah, ding-donged yourself to go back to the last episode. But I will say that I, before recording this episode, I watched um, a heartfelt indie movie from 2018 called Leave No Trace, starring Ben Foster and Thomas and McKenzie, which is about a father and daughter who live in the wild and are forced to reintegrate into society 
because you're not allowed to live rough, apparently, uh, on legal public land, or um, it's illegal to live on public land. And it's based on the book. It's about them struggling with their identity and their ability to do that exact thing, to live quote-unquote normal. Um, particularly Ben Foster's character, who plays an ex-soldier, who's very haunted by that experience. The film doesn't really kind of hinge too much on that, but it's all the elements are there. And I'd argue that the real star of the movie is Thomas and Mackenzie, who, by the way, if they're ever going to make a fucking film about Lord... There's your there's your actor. Like, Jesus Christ, she's basically the same person. Um, I thought this was a quietly devastating, quite beautiful film. It won a ton of critical plaudits when it came out a couple of years ago. Um, I believe it was probably, was it big in the old lighthouse, Norma, when you were there? I feel like it's, it was kind of a sleeper thing where a lot of the time these films come out um, and people are like, oh, I'm going to wait a week to go see this thing. So it gets a few people in the door. And then when you don't get big audiences, you're like, okay, well, there's no point in programming it if we don't get big audiences. And then people come back and they're like, you're not showing that film anymore? Why? And it's like, because you have to get out there and go see it. Um, so it did come back after a little stint of dropping off. So I feel like a lot of people who saw it really, really loved it. But yeah, it's just kind of like... Kind of slid under the radar a little bit. Yeah, uh, very much a critical darling. I think it was Mark Kermode's film of that year. Um, a lot of the critical responses to it that really loved the film would say stuff like, it doesn't put a single foot wrong. Um, it's directed by the director of Winter's Bone, Deborah Granick, I think is her name. Um, very kind of, you know, indie in the sense that like, you know, you're not going to see any big fucking explosions or nothing. You know, it's all the explosions are of the familial turmoil variety. But um <laughs> Uh, really beautiful acting, elegantly composed, quite devastating in its way. And, you know, I thought the performances were fantastic. And it really is one of those ones that just really fucking knocks you out if you're in tune with it. Uh, I really, really loved it. I thought it was great. You've seen it, right? Yeah. Um, I really, really loved it as well. I think The Year Came Out was one of my favorite films. Um, yeah, I'd agree. Thomas and Mackenzie's like, what a first kind of introduction to a character. Um, she's so quiet in it, but like, such a fierce streaker and a streak in her as well. Um, and Ben Foster is incredible. And I think, I feel like he can go big a lot of the time. And in this one, like you made reference to the fact that like he's clearly dealing with some stuff and it doesn't really go into what might be causing his PTSD, but it doesn't need to because like it's all there on his face. Like he, um, he evokes all the kind of turmoil that's inside him so, so well. Um, yeah, I really, really loved it. It's uh, it's one I'm I'm curious were I to revisit now that I am a known crier at movies, <laughs> if uh, if it'd be able to get me because when I watched it, I watched it on a plane, notoriously dry, dry air on those planes, you know, twitching, twitching around <laughs> the eyes, and uh, didn't cry, but it was like it is devastating at points, um, and I'm curious, I'm. I'd like to see Deborah Granick do more. It's like she made Winter's Bone, which was Oscar nominated and like kind of I feel like it was the star vehicle for Jennifer Lawrence. But I feel that movie was very much a star vehicle for how talented she is. And uh, she hadn't really done a lot in the in the years that followed, which I kind of think is says a lot about the way Hollywood is a lot of the time. 
Yeah, it's it got me a couple of times. I mean, there's a line in the trailer, which I thankfully had forgotten about, but that comes up again later in the movie. It's very towards the end between the two of them. And that line in particular I just thought was really fucking heart-wrenching. Uh, performances are fantastic. I, I like Ben Foster. I'd agree with you. There are films in which he goes to 11, but um, he's very capable, reliable. He, it's weird. He's like always, you know, that guy's always working. He's always doing interesting stuff, often critically acclaimed, but he's never been like the guy, you know? Apart from the Lance Armstrong film that nobody watched. <laughs> the program. Yeah, like he he's very much a character actor. Don't force him down my throat, please. <laughs> you don't want him in a Marvel movie anytime soon, no? He already well, he was he was in X Men three. Oh of course. Yeah, sorry. He was Angel in X Men The Last Stand. How could I forget such a towering performance? What a character. <laughs> uh Norma, what else have you been watching? Um so I was to you guys about a TV series that uh I really enjoyed called Ugly Delicious. It's hosted by um, a chef called David Chang. And it basically is just him and a group of his mates who are a mixture of uh, chefs and also comedians, uh, different comedians who just happen to be his mates kind of pop in and out of this, where each episode they take a different cuisine or a different element of food and sort of examine it. Um, and deconstruct how it should be presented or whether just really ugly food can be super delicious. And it is very easy, very nice, enjoyable watching. It will make you want to travel all around the place, though, and eat lots of different food. And considering no one can really travel internationally right now, maybe avoid it for a little Trigger while. Trigger warning, yeah. If, if you are someone who gets sort of caught up in the wanderlust of looking at lots of different amazing cuisines. But I find a lot of fun, really, really interesting. And then other than my Studio Ghibli stuff, I was really hung over one day and I was like, oh, I just want to put on like a kind of a fun film that I can have on in the background. I can go make a cup of tea, have my dinner, sit down and watch it. So I chose Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Who directed that film? <laughs> Who wrote and directed that I film? I didn't remember till like 10 minutes into the film that it was Woody fucking Allen. Oh no. <laughs> and I was just like watching the film and like, this is so weird. And I was just like, this... The, like the storyline is basically just like these two American girls go off to Barcelona and they meet Javier Bardem. Um, Scarlett Johansson becomes obsessed with him as the sexy man. And then slowly Rebecca Hall comes around to his charms. And it's then just essentially who gets to have sex with Javier Bardem for the rest of the film, like potluck. Um, terrible, terrible film. So Penelope Cruz won... An Oscar for this? Best supporting actress. He has a very big, big performance. She's the, the yeah. ex-wife of Javier Bardem and they and have like, like a very like fiery yeah, relationship. Yeah, like artistic thing and she draws out the artist in him and pushes him to be better. And she's really, really good in it. She's the only good thing about it because the rest of it's absolute trash. And like, I, I'm amazed that the Academy were able to eke out her performance in such a bad, bad film. Were they married before this? Javi Bernam and Penelope Cruz? I don't think they were this, married pre this. I wondered, is this Did this, this bring them together? Met? Yeah, possibly. Well imagine you were like, how'd you meet? Oh, we met on a Woody Allen set. <laughs> like, or also they play a divorced... Well, I guess, like, are they divorced in it or are they just separated? It's been a while. So they're it's definitely separated. He says my ex-wife. Yeah. Have either of you made a conscious Terrible. decision? I, I was never into Woody Allen. And that's not me being like, hello, I'm so woke. I just never really liked his stuff, to be honest with you. It just never really worked for me. Uh, so I would ne- like, the idea of like seeing a Woody Allen film doesn't mean anything to me. Have you ever, did you have a moment where you were like, I can't keep watching this guy's stuff? Like, did you, were you a fan at any point or? Uh, never a major fan. Um, I remember I had to review 
one of the last things probably I reviewed was like Cafe Society. It was like Jesse Eisenberg is the Woody mm. Allen stand-in. Um, Kristen Stewart's in it, and yeah, I was just like, we're, it was at the, it was very soon after, um, a lot had come out about him, and I was like, oh, you know, we still do Woody Allen movies, guys, <laughs> you know, and it like it's a really weird one. Like it wasn't a good movie anyway, but it was like it was just like a very weird experience it's like i don't really want to be at this even if there wasn't everything about woody allen i wouldn't be too excited about it so he's been a very easy person to forget about for me in that sense yeah i was i was never a, a big woody allen fan either i did enjoy midnight in paris for what it's worth i think it's a good film i actually i don't know a lot of his older stuff so i'm like also yeah, not a good person to ask about it because, like, Annie Hall, I've never seen, or. I think I. He, Actually, Match Point is, like, that's a good film. Jonathan Reese Myers, isn't Jonathan it? Jonathan Reese yeah, Myers yeah. and Scarlett Johansson. Wow, I've never heard someone say Match Point is a good film. Really? I, remember being, I thought it was all right. I remember being critically reviled, yeah. I, I think I remember I, Manhattan Murder I remember, Mystery. Am I that misremembering him? it? When I, was, I remember when I was younger, I liked Manhattan Murder Mystery. Did he do Bullets Over Broadway, or is that somebody else? think i enjoyed that i don't even know if it's him anyway we'll move off problematic territory <laughs> and we'll come back to nor mentioned earlier on like the idea of like wanderlust and also fine cuisine two things that i would say would come with the david higgins action figure as, <laughs> as, as, as character traits um a map good <laughs> a map and like i don't know like a, a baguette or something you know fine cuisine but money um, belts sure why not <laughs> for traveling um you've once again been diving you, you've once been finding your way around the world by watching further adventures in german television i believe yeah i, w- I was actually wondering Norma, like were you watching vicky christina barcelona solely for just like looking, looking at barcelona paris. <laughs> and like similarly with midnight in paris because i've in in the lockdown um similar to the way you've been watching ugly delicious like i've been basically going back through anthony bourdain episodes yeah, and it's that. like trying to get away um solely by watching things in places you've been before it was why i ended up watching that ultras movie last time or recently which was not great because i was like thinking about naples but yes i am I'm, i've gone back to germany i'm on my third german tv show on netflix um this one's called criminal um it's a very kind of clever idea for a show actually it's an anthology series um there are 12 episodes but the the hook is that it's basically um cops in an interrogation room it's almost like very traditional and you know tv became super serialized um where like one one plot line would run through an entire season uh well previously it was just like you know crime of the week on whatever nypd blue or murder she wrote this is kind of going back to that where it's just like uh the setup is it's an interrogation room and they're going to talk to someone about something um so for the 12 episodes three are set in germany three in spain um, Spain? three in france (laughs) and three in england uh the english version has david tennant uh, I will not be watching that. But the, the German <laughs> Why version... Why have you got against David Tennant? He's terrible. He's awful. Do you know that it was down to him and Maz Mikkelsen for Hannibal? They made the right fucking choice. <laughs> absolutely did. Um, so Criminal uh, Deutschland, um, the lead in it is a really, really good German character actor called Sylvester Groth. He's, you've probably seen him in... He's in like Inglorious Bastards. I think he plays Goebbels in Inglorious Bastards. You'll, he kind of has a very recognizable face. He's got like really like deep puppy dog 
but not in like a, an endearing way. He just look, looks weathered. Um, he also was in Dark and has popped up in like lots of other kind of prestige German TV shows. Um, it's a very easy watch. It's a very like simple kind of dip in and out, but it's also clever. It kind of dips into, um, things that make it intrinsically Berlin as opposed to just being, um, you know, why did you kill this person? It touches on, you know, when the wall came down and, um, it was essentially like a gold rush of like people from the West who had money, like flooding into Berlin and just like taking away all the, all the property. There's stuff about like the Turkish population. Very good, easy watch. And as I said, it's a, it's a way to get away. Although I'm not seeing a lot of Berlin. I'm just seeing a room in Berlin, hey, look, which is also the exact same room as they have in the French. Uh, Spanish and English version. It's something, man. You know what's uh, what's Tom Hanks up to these days? Is what I want to know. With Tom his, Hanks, um, his Apple exclusive. I assume you signed up to Apple for this, did you? Apple Plus, yeah. Uh, comes with all new Apple products, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Tom Hanks has a movie out now called Greyhound um, that he wrote. I think it's the second time he, he's written a movie. He wrote like Larry Crown a couple of years ago. That a was classic film that we keep good. talking about to this day. At all. Um, so Greyhound is about a fleet of destroyers during, uh, World War II who are like protecting, um, a convoy of cargo that's been brought and basically, you know, for, for the most part, um, to fend off German U-boats, they'd have planes, but you eventually get to a point where the planes can't fly because it's too far into the Atlantic. They won't be able to fly back. It's called like the Black, Black Pit. And Tom Hanks is the captain of the Greyhound which is trying to protect from German U-boats. Um, this is like extreme dad core movie. <laughs> um, it's directed, I can't think of the guy's name, someone who like hadn't really done anything before, but it's got a real VOD um, look about it down to like, it's essentially like a couple of sets, you know, you know, there's like the, the main his his uh his room where he stays and then like the bridge and like that's kind of it um the cgi is like it's okay i guess but it's just like so beige um it looks really bad it looks have, like it really does like you said vod but it re- it does look like you know blu-ray cover of a film that you see in tasco that you're like i'm never yeah, gonna and it's exclusive this. to apple tv i think they paid a lot of fucking money for it they, right? so it was meant so to get they produce it no it was it was actually going to get a release like a wide release because you know um tom hanks is like still box office like people would still go see a tom hanks movie and you know you're you're selling it on basically like you know Someone somewhere is being like, it's like Captain Phillips meets Saving Private Ryan. Like, you know that that is, is <laughs> on some marketing person's mind. They're going to try and sell it that way. Um, COVID-19 obviously meant that they are, we're going to have to push it paramount. But instead of that, they seem to have like a, a little bit of a thing going on with Netflix. Uh, sorry, not Netflix or with like trying to sell things off. Um, it's the same production company that made Annihilation and Annihilation basically like cut their losses after the US release and sold to Netflix. They've done the same thing here. They sold it for like $70 million. It it cost 50. It looks like it was mostly, I assume all that went to Tom Hanks (laughs) and maybe like a bit of, a bit of change left over for Stephen Graham and Elizabeth Shue in like a 15 second cameo. Oh wow. Um, not a good movie. A good movie, though, and uh, to continue on my globe-throtting, is uh, The Old Guard. It's a new Netflix 
comic book movie starring uh mm-hmm. starring Charlie Theron. Um this is actually like a lot of fun. Um I looked at it at first and I was like, oh, you know, I was thinking I was you know wading into like extraction territory. I didn't actually know about the comic book element of I'm it. I'm getting Six Underground vibes off of it myself. No, it's not as obnoxious as Six Underground. It's actually like um very very well directed. Um it's got a really good cast, so as well as uh, Charlize, there's Matthias Schoenart, who is really, really good Belgian actor, sometimes called Belgian Tom Hardy. He was in The Drop with him. He's in Bullhead. He was in Rust and Bone. Um, very, very charming, very physical actor. Um, you also have Kiki Lane, who we both love, I believe, in If Beale Street Could Talk. So this is like the next thing I saw her in because that was like her debut. Um, she's playing a completely different role. She's like a, a military person. Really, really good. A lot of charisma. What's it like? What's it about? Like more of it? How it's is it about a team of immortal. Um, it's like an immortal squad who kind of go around and right wrong. So Charlie Theron's character goes back to like 700 BC, I think. And then there's two characters who were like on opposite sides, two guys who are on opposite sides in the Crusades. This sounds who, great. Who were both immortal. <laughs> and then they become lovers. Uh, and then Matthias Schoenart's character was like fighting with Napoleon. So anyway, they kind of have like a handler who's Chiwetel Ejiofor. It's like, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the chemistry between all the cast is really good. Like the action is like really nice and well shot. It's coherent. It's pretty violent. It has an incredible corpse kill, which I know that you're always oh, a big fan of. I love the corpse kill. Um, the corpse kill is the greatest thing in cinema. Yeah, and like it's it's clearly set up for a sequel, but it's not one of those comic book movies where I'm like, oh Christ! I am 100 percent watching this now because it oh, has no, a corpse I'm kill. Like, so no, no, no. <laughs> simply because, like I was like, yeah, yeah. Whatever. But as soon as you said corpse kill, yeah. I'm in. For anyone who does not know, the corpse kill is what it says on the tin. It's where a character is killed. And then their corpse is killed. <laughs> most, the most famous example being Tommy Lee Jones in, in Under Siege. Do you want to describe that one? I think it happened. I think there's three instances of, of corpse killing in that one. Like, yeah, so the, the Tommy no, Lee Jones. Film? It, no, it's it, one character. It's, 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 it's almost in one fluid uh, <laughs> movement. Yeah, where Segal, Stephen Segal is the king of the corpse kill. By the way, so in Under Siege, Tommy Lee Jones is like the main villain, and they have like their fight at the end of it, and Tommy Lee Jones is basically like a cocaine maniac in that movie and steven seagal is always calm as usual um ryback isn't it casey yeah, ryback, casey using, ryback. using a keto uh, use your enemy's uh, energy against him i believe is always the uh so i believe tommy lee jones comes at him with a knife and big fucking knife a massive like <laughs> kind of like a hunting bowie knife yeah, yeah and using his aikido he he manages to get the knife off him. He breaks his arm or something. Like, <laughs> it's just like so like brutal. But that's just like, you know, a little bit, you know, of a starter. Directly stabs him with the knife through the head, like to the point, like you're going through the brain, probably getting a bit of the spinal column. Like instantly and killed. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Severed everything. And then puts him entirely through a computer like monitor setup like throws so him through a throws fucking him in, so, control like, console yeah you know glass breaking him. electrocuting the head the head probably explodes <laughs> that's a corpse kill <laughs> there's another Seagal film uh, I think it's marked for death in which um, 
technically like it's it's weird like he thinks he kills the main villain but it turns out the main villain had a twin brother so he like decapitates this guy or something but like i'm probably getting this wrong but the point is there's a moment later in the film where he basically like stabs it runs this guy through with a sword so there you go it's death right not good enough lifts him up and breaks his fucking back over his knee and then picks up what is left of him and fucks him down an elevator shaft and it's like jesus christ the 80s. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful time. he's just time. trying to get rid of the body. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he's just, just yeah. cleaning up, you know. Yeah, the corpse kill. And it's, then if uh, it's split in two, it'll be easier to get it down the elevator shaft. Is the corpse kill like one of those blink and you'll miss it things? Or is it like particular? Oh, no, it's a, it's a beautiful team send-off. <laughs> Um, it's, it's 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 a forgotten art. I know. Like I just wish that like people listening to this could just see your eyes light it, it up. It should be noticed as well that like like I'm not a gore hand or anything. It's like it, in uh, generally, if a corpse kill is done well, it's tasteful a, corpse kill. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't linger on the violence. <laughs> like it's you know, it's very much a case of uh, this is fine. It's like watching a John Wick movie. So would a would a tasteful one involve just one weapon or multiple weapons? Uh, I guess that's a good question. Yeah, I mean like. You know how like there. Imagine a tasteful one just needs the one. There are many, many cinematic deaths that have haunted me. Like the the idea of the corpse kill is that like this is it doesn't mean anything. There's like nothing. There's no like actual pain here. It's just ridiculous, cartoonish, and you know no one got killed in the making of this corpse kill. I I I hope. Okay, so it's a recommend then, yeah. Oh, it's a big recommend. Yeah, really, (laughs) really fun. Really fun movie tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, well, you can watch it tonight, Norm, because we've already done our, our due diligence for this. And now it's time to talk about Un Film du Danny Boyle. It's Yesterday from 2019. And it's all about the Beatles. And it sounds a bit like this. Why did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No. Stop it. Yesterday. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are? Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sorry, I'm just listening to Jack's new song. What's this one called? Uh, Leave it be. Let it be. Well, rock on, Jack. Oh yeah! Alright, yesterday. Um, it's a film that a lot of people probably have seen. I think it did fairly well. It is directed by Danny Boyle, written by Richard Curtis, but based on a story by a guy called Jack Barth, and we'll be talking about him in a moment. Um, or maybe it fits into the background. The background of this film, Higgins? Yeah, so um, Jack Barth is, I guess, like a journeyman comedian writer um, who has, you know, he, he wrote an episode of The Simpsons in the 90s. Kind of someone who's just been like plugging away, you know, your classic freelancer. I believe he's like worked in film criticism as well. I think um, he's in his sixties now. Just to, in, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's in sixties, and he came up with an idea um, for what would kind of basically become yesterday. That was called cover version. Um, and similar to yesterday, the basic premise: um, guy wakes up one day and he's the only person that knows that the Beatles exist. So he was trying to shop this around for a while. Um, eventually it found its way into the hands of Richard Curtis, he of Notting Hill, Richard Jones, Mr. Bean, Blackadder, you know. Love Actually. Love, uh, I didn't want to say it, but yes, Love Actually. <laughs> Go on. About Time, that's him, isn't about it? Time, about Time, yeah. Um, 
Curtis would go on to claim that, you know, he, he basically, like, read the log line, you know, the elevator pitch, um, not even the script, and he was like, I love it, you know, I'm going to uh, make an adaptation of this. So he wrote the script, uh, and then Danny Boyle came on board to direct it. Um, it was kind of sold as two of Britain's great filmmakers finally together. Which, by the way, I mean, not to derail you immediately here, but, like, that is the most, like, uh, who cares? Like, like the press tour is built around the idea of, like, here come these two yeah, great up. Britain titans. Yeah. And I'm it's, like, it's like, fucking, like look, that's such a shit loving. Like, that's fine if it's, like, for Graham Norton or something. But, like, really? Like, that's not a sell. I don't care about that. Yeah, like, I mean, it was a sell for, like, heat, but, like, an understandable <laughs> sell for heat. But, like, I don't think... It, you know, people for years have been like, oh, they Sorry, almost... How many they, times can we mention heat in every episode? We didn't do it on the last episode, so we have to I do it. I think we did. One. I don't think we did. On the, the Euro- Eurovision one. We didn't mention heat in the Eurovision episode. You watched The Dark Knight. And you mentioned oh heat. <laughs> I'm putting a ban on heat. It's also, I should clarify, it's a film I've tried to convince Higgs and now you to do for No Popcorn. And Higgs is like, there are well, enough... because of Moby at the end. Because Henry Rollins is in the film. Therefore, yeah. it counts. And Higgs is like, there are way too many uh, white lads in their 30s podcasts talking about heat. And I'm like, let's do one more. No. <laughs> there's, there's literally an entire podcast series about heat by a mid 30s white guy. We're also guy. letting heat once again derail yeah. the Listen. entirety of this thing. All right. No I, more heat talk. I will throw the microphone back to you, Higgins. Um, to talk about the awkwardness of the idea that this film is like, like that the general public would give a fuck. Yeah. Like, it's. It's a really weird one that nobody has been waiting for this. Like, and it, it, it's actually kind of strange. And when I started watching this movie, I was like, oh, this is actually directed by Danny Boyle. I, like, it, I had remembered when it was released, but I was just like, I assumed this was just 100% a Richard Curtis joint. Joint. <laughs> it doesn't feel like, honestly, even watching the film until it got to the end of the film. Also, the opening credits, by the way, might be the shortest I've ever seen. They're kind of bizarre. It genuinely is like a Danny Boyle film uh, and it, written by Richard Curtis, uh, starring, and it gives you the first two actors, and then it's like, that's it. Like, usually a credit thing goes on for like about a minute, minute and a half. I was kind of surprised at that. Um, but yeah, until I forgot, I forgot immediately that it was directed by Danny Boyle. At the end of the film, when it comes up directed by Danny Boyle, I was like, I had convinced myself that, of course, this is directed by Richard Curtis, written and directed by. Yeah, there's like, there are zero Danny Boyle trademarks that I could glean from this film. you raise an interesting, you raise an interesting premise. What are Danny Boyle trademarks? Because, I don't know about you guys, but like, I find it really hard now to put my finger on Danny Boyle as a filmmaker because, I mean, starts off, right, you know what, breaks through with Shallow Grave, really good independent crime movie. Goes on to Trainspotting, a film that I don't adore, but I totally understand why people do. I mean, it's a very good film. And then goes on to do, you know, The Likes of the Beach, which doesn't quite work. Um, he makes weird indie stuff like Millions, which I've never seen. Sunshine, which I adore, four and a half out of five. <laughs> um, goes on to make, you know, what else? 127 Hours, which I'll never watch because I despise James Franco. Some Dog Millionaire, which you know I liked when I saw it in the cinema, but I never want to see it again. It feels like Oscar bait. What am I forgetting here? Lots, probably. You're forgetting Trance. Oh, my God. I mean, You're forgetting T2 Train Spotting, Which I haven't seen. Oh yeah, like, he's, he's a director who his biggest um, kind of cultural gift in the past oh, 28 days decade. later right? he did that didn't he yeah it's probably like his work on the the olympics opening ceremony 
Like that's kind oh of like his God. that's Iconic. kind of his calling card like <laughs> in in the last decade. Oh sorry, we're also forgetting Steve Jobs. <laughs> oh, was Steve, that was him. Yeah. Again, yeah. yeah, he's I don't know if I would call him a chameleon cuz like that would mean that he he he'd be like wearing different hats and you know visually wearing different hats well like none of those movies that we said maybe post sunshine i'm seeing anything like certainly visually where i'm like oh yeah that's that's danny boyle um oh he did a life less ordinary didn't he, he? Did, yes which i think is fine people hated it but i liked it i guess like the thing that i i completely forgotten and he had directed it until the end yeah and then saw danny boyle pop up and i guess i just associate him probably as a, an aftertaste of train spotting with like grittier films or th- more serious films or ones that are at least challenging something as opposed to this yesterday which is like this kind of like ditzy rom-com that doesn't really know what it's saying and it doesn't really have any weight to it and none of the characters are particularly like feel very real it feels like a very for hire so, job and maybe yeah. that's who he is now obviously he was recently supposed to direct the james bond movie and left because of the dreaded creative differences which apparently you know i think bond movie directors are probably given a lot of notes i would imagine um and he didn't agree with that so he's out um is he good is danny well good he's not good in this but i mean like i guess it's I interesting he's a good director it's interesting yeah. that he mentioned the olympics though because i feel like that was the moment right where maybe he just like hardcore embraced being british or something because this film just feels very like it's the uk and it's the Beatles and we're all quirky and kooky and you know it's so colorful like in terms of just it feels like like a bag of skittles being fucking exploding in your face or something there's just something about it where i'm like this film just feels way too saccharine for me um and again that's why i go back to the richard curtis ideal of like you know oh you know britain and you know fucking Beatles and whatever. I just, it's just, I, I, like, I just find it really cloying or something. Yeah. Um, just, just on Danny Boyle, is he good? I think he is good, but he's a, he's, his filmography makes no sense in, in <laughs> one sense. And I, I kind of understand on one level because he's like, seems to be very, very influenced by Kubrick. But I mean, like, who, who isn't? But, Kubrick kind of jumped around genres quite a bit. And I know like he was like, uh, obviously for Sunshine was like massively, uh, inspired by 2001. Um, he kind of references a clockwork orange and kind of like when he saw that before it got pulled from the cinemas and as being like a, something that pushed him with train spotting. He's like a big fan of Barry Lyndon. So he's kind of like following that. Like, I feel like I need to do different genres. And like he said, he think he did Sunshine because he's like, I wanted to do a sci-fi. He's like, I didn't really enjoy the experience, but I've done my sci-fi now. And it's like, is he just like, oh, I haven't really done the straight rom-com now. So he's going to that. Another thing about him is that he never writes any of his own material. Like he always works with like a couple of people. And some of the better ones kind of maybe are the result of the people he's teamed up with. Like on a previous episode, we were talking about Sunshine and Alex Garland, who we'd done 28 days later with and the beach um so it might be a case of like the quality of writing is like what is driving him a lot of the time because visually he does like have some panache like like train spotting is a very interesting Mm -hmm. visual movie ditto sunshine ditto 28 days later um but recently i haven't really seen anything in him that has been 
you know, stand out. As you say, there's nothing in this movie. Like his big thing in this movie is like a really weird, terrible, almost like Apple um, iPod commercial of uh, Himesh Patel when he's like in going in the ascension. It's like, oh, how do we show this in a montage? And it's just like he's standing in a room with like colorful screens in front of him. And it, it feels like he's trying to like tap into something, but it's very much... Or the uh, the big outdoor concert, which gave me Bohemian Rhapsody flashbacks, where it's just like, this is just ugly to look at. Also, I'd say this, right? He doesn't have enough epics under his belt for me to really sell this comparison, but the director that he reminds me of the most these days is Ridley Scott, where I'm just like, this is just such an erratic filmography. It doesn't really, I can't pin you down to anything. And I think ultimately you're leaning and hewing more and more towards generic territory with each new passing film. Which is why people should just do like David Lynch and just stick to the thing that works. Good at, yeah. <laughs> just pick the thing. Well, I presume this you don't w- have to do a rom-com. I presume you this worked from to. like fucking, you know, giving him an easy payday. Uh, Jack Barth. Probably didn't get paid terribly well. And an article on Uproxx, I think it was, a few months ago, emerged yeah. in which he went into the whole detailing of this and how he was, like, you know, he wants, I think he still wants to be seen as like, you know, you can sell that dream script to yours when you're in your 60s. It can happen, you know, like keep at it. But it does seem like for him, this turned into a bit of a nightmare. Do we recall that article quite well? I had a reread of it again last night and it is, it's so sad. So, yeah, like you were saying, Jack Barth, had been around for years and had been working on the script cover version with the idea that Mackenzie Crook might play the lead role. And they'd been sort of like working around with things. It was going to be a very low budget indie film. Um, and like the, I, the original idea for it was that this guy would be the only guy to remember the Beatles. And then he, he would be a musician who would get kind of like not superstar famous like it is in yesterday, that he would get like relative, like kind of medium sized, like uh, success out of it. So and then his idea was that it was going to be more a commentary on the music industry and what it does to people that would reflect his own career and the struggles he had himself. Um, and then he just talks about in that article how someone sold Richard Curtis it on the line. They got the script. Um, they were, he was kind of told minimally what was going to happen. And then when it came to the release, they were like, we're going to talk about the, the writing credit. Um, so Richard Curtis is insisting on having the full writer's credit and you will be credited as co-story. It's not even like story, but like co-story. Um, and he said that he was so worried about doing damage to the film or just like kicking up a fuss at the time because he'd been working so hard at this that he just agreed to it and he basically signed, pretty much signed a bit of a death sentence on that. Yeah, because, it should be noted yeah, as well though for, for anyone like who doesn't pay attention to development hell and that kind of stuff in the Hollywood world. There have been fucking books written about the fact that if you sell a script, it is more than likely, like 95% more than likely that that script will be bought for a handsome fee, perhaps. But then that fee will be rewritten or the script will be rewritten and then it could be rewritten again and again and again and again. Happens all the time. Happens with like every fucking blockbuster you've ever seen. Someone comes in to punch it up and so on. There's script doctors and that kind of stuff. He mentions in that article that he was like, look, I'm no stranger to the idea of being rewritten. That's not necessarily the issue. He was just like, 
the article kind of culminates and you can see how he was just screwed over and it was like he definitely should have gotten a lot more than what he did. There are similarities in the script that there's no way Richard Curtis did not, just magically came up with the same things that Jack Barth came up with. And there's kind of like, there's hints in the article as well that like at one point a guy from Australia comes forward and is like, I actually came up with that idea for the premise in this year. Um, so this is plagiarism. And Jack Barth said that if they had asked him, he could have really easily batted away that issue because he was like, when that guy's, uh, um, version came out, he was like, mine had already been in development for like two years. So that's not a problem. But Richard Curtis sent him an email being like, oh, hey, guys, I never got to congratulate you on your script and like your film. So the second it looked like something was potentially going to go tits up, Richard Curtis had already denounced everything. And then but was background to being on the circuit, just claiming full responsibility for the script and the idea. Yeah, I'm not like here to, you know, throw anything too disparaging Richard Curtis's way because I got the sense that he's very litigious. But I will say, <laughs> I believe what Jack Barth is saying. I don't really, like Richard Curtis to me, I think is a fucking hack of the highest order when it comes to the work that he's put out on the screen. Some people love it. Um, I think it's generally terrible. Uh, what do you think? Are you, uh, you, has Richard Curtis ever like made you be like, that's really good, mate? Um, I don't know if I can give him credit for like co-creating Mr. Bean or do I just put that all down to Rowan Atkinson? But aside from that, no. Um, well, that actually doesn't, doesn't do it for you. I haven't seen it. I will say, because like, whilst it sounded like I was being very mean about Richard Curtis there, this is simply what's based off this interview for Uproxx with Jack Barth. So I guess there's also, you can decide yourself from that article how you feel about it. Yeah, truth's often always in the middle. Of my, though, like, I'm not a big rom-com person, um, but one of my favourite rom-coms is About Time. It's fucking brilliant. Haven't seen it? Watch it. Have you, I what love you it. Say? Why? I I don't like I don't like Richard. I I love Rachel McAdams. I think she's great. Um, I even watched Eurovision Song Contest, (laughs) the story fire saga because of that. Um, now I just I find him like the king of saccharin. It's just awful, and I I find him like a very a a very calm person in general. Do you feel, or do you think it's like something you would? Like there's lots of rom-coms I like, but they don't tend to be his. And now, in fairness, I haven't watched Four Weddings or Notting Hill, which I think are considered the better of his his yeah. work. He also didn't direct either of those two. Um, but I find him like the way he tries to emotionally manipulate the audience. I like really turns me off. Yeah, they are also like you're saying they are extremely. British like it is like you're also buying into that humor how people act there are kind of tropey type people within the films themselves particularly between like Notting Hill and Four Weddings is Um, this a good idea is there a good movie in this in this premise this basic premise I think so like um I know you were saying that like Mackenzie Crook was originally in this and like I think Bart's idea um even just like isolated into like he said that he was when when he was writing it like his own insecurities were um kind of very prevalent where he was like if i could like be the only person who knew the beatles songs he's like i couldn't have any success like he has this kind of like and again it kind of comes down to like it's the story of his career where he's like i've been out here working for you know 
over 40 years at this game haven't really hit the success like we we've all i'm sure had that feeling where it's just like are just are we just like no good you know and i think you know veering into that would be far more interesting than just being like using a very high concept for a rom-com like you could veer into that or like it doesn't even really want to develop or acknowledge its own premise it's just like he knows all the beatles songs it doesn't want to care about the world that it's in it's essentially a sci-fi movie uh, where you know something major happens um a new timeline maybe has been created where only three people are aware of it but richard Richard curtis just cares about a guy meeting a girl really like this there's this movie doesn't even acknowledge anything outside of like a couple of jokes all over the place like i wasn't sure if this was like the knock-on effect of the beatles so he he gets hit by a bus because 12 seconds of electricity goes all around the world Mm -hmm. he gets hit by a bus in this in this blackout for 12 seconds can i just say by the way sorry when you get hit by the bus right and you get a shot of him flying across and and it freezes i think it freezes because my laptop froze and shut itself down but the weird thing is i had like i had the hdmi cable into my television so i didn't realize that that's what had happened and i was looking at the still shot of himish patel flying and i was like wow this is a really interesting directorial choice that Danny Boyle has gone with here to hold this shot for so long. And I was like, is there like voiceover going to come in? And then I was like, oh no, hang on. Maybe my laptop's just fucked. And I went over to like press it and it was like not reacting. And I was like, oh right. Okay. never mind. No problem. Anyway, the point is if anyone's listening and wants to subscribe to the Patreon and tell me to get a new MacBook, that'd be great. Patreon.com slash Noroncore. So anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It freaked me out because it turned into a horror film for a second. I was like, why am I being confronted with this? Yeah, so that's the kind of premise that he's the struggling musician. He gets hit by the bus. He wakes up. He's the only one who remembers the Beatles. Um, He quickly discovers this when he, he, I think it's like on the third sort of joke he makes that's Beatles based but what I didn't understand was again the like not caring about the world was when he looks up the Beatles and he's like oh my god it never existed and then he finds out that Coke doesn't exist either it's just Pepsi and then at one point he's like Oasis don't exist that's the one good joke in the film yeah but it's like but was that because the idea is that that's a knock-on effect from the Beatles. It's such a rip-off of, of, of the yeah, Beatles. Yeah, that exactly. Because yeah, then he looks at Charles Gambino and Charles Gambino is oh, still thank there. thank God. Yeah, yeah. I will say, that's the good. first maybe 20 minutes of the film are actually pretty good. Are actually grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It starts Watchable. with starts with pace. It starts with verve and has a bit of yeah, charm. Yeah, along. Straight quick. in. And I was yeah. like, grand, cool, yeah. And, and it's that thing of like, you know, you're like, you know, like to go back to like the idea of like the the basic thing that the basic person wants. It's like I'm watching a movie. Like it's well made. You know, like it's got pretty looking people in it. So the premise, as you say, right? So a struggling singer songwriter man called uh, Jack Malik, played by Himish Patel, who I've never seen before, but I believe he's in EastEnders or was in EastEnders, and that was his yeah. prior. And I will say also straight off the bat, like it is nice to see a non-white dude in the fucking main lead of your big rom-com summer movie. Um, he is playing shows in pubs no one's interested in what he does, apart from his mates, including Lily James uh, of Baby Driver fame, here playing pretty much the same role of incognito beautiful woman who uh, is mad after our lead man for some reason, and he doesn't see it or care. And it's like, if you stop for fucking two seconds, mate, and again... I love it. Again, like, this is like Hollywood attempting to make oh Lily my. James look dowdy. Ridiculous. It's just like 
cutesy, beautiful little dresses, let's, which let's, look great. Let's put and her in fringe. a let's put her in a shit dressing gown and give her like a bad haircut and or big dresses. And I'm like, this doesn't work. It's Lily James. Like, come on, she's stunning. Like, <laughs> like, she's like a beautiful woman. Like, stop. Uh, so she's his manager slash best friend slash madly in love with him for some reason. Um, <laughs> and like you know, a bit of an asshole. He, uh, that's a, I want to get into that later on because I don't know if the, I'm like, is this guy like a likable guy? But like, so you know, she gets him a slot at like a festival, and like it's funny because like I've played my old band I, I've played the festival slot where you're like I'm on the poster I'm in the thing but you're playing in like this back arse end of nowhere in front of nobody but you know it gets you a fucking wristband and the idea of like perception and whatever so he plays to nobody there's a funny moment where like his friend who becomes his roadie is fired by Michael Kuanuka who shows up and I was I, I was like always oh, nice to see Michael Kuanuka great musician lovely man interviewed him at picnic last year great guy and I was like oh are we gonna get like a parade of cameos no we're not we're just gonna get Ed Sheeran but we'll get into him later on as well um essentially the whole idea is as you say maybe more cameos would have helped might have yeah I, I think Ed, Ed Sheeran was really supposed to be Chris Martin possibly but like so essentially what happens is um yeah man wakes up and is the only person in the world who can remember the Beatles. Because, yeah, when he's in hospital, he makes the gag to Lee James, you know, will you still love me when I'm 64? And she's like, 64? Like, what's that about? And then, just in case you didn't get that, I think the next thing he says is he goes, oh, you know, if the Beatles wouldn't be in that situation. And she's like, oh, who are the Beatles? And it's like, okay, cool, yeah, we're rocking and we're rolling, we get it now. So then you get a sequence where this guy, this jobbing singer-songwriter man who has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, but, you know, he's also a nice guy, I think, um, is given, like, a, a welcoming home bash... And he does this. I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. Why she had to go, I don't know. She wouldn't say. I. Said something wrong now. I long for yesterday. What the hell was that? Yesterday. That was one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Yeah. It's a bit, bit soppy, but sweet. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? The Beatles. The what? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. Which Beatles is this? The insect Beatles or the car Beatles? The pop group Beatles. Nick, help me out here. <laughs> right, yes. Um, there's this problem with musicians. They presume everyone else has this encyclopedic knowledge of obscure pop. <laughs> make you feel stupid when you haven't heard of bands, you know, like... Neutral Milk Hotel, or uh, the Monophonics, or in this case, the Beatles. <laughs> that's <laughs> so. That's Jack Malik playing yesterday for his mates, who of course get all emotional because they've never heard it. They've never heard the like before, and you know you get these occasional moments of like it's kind of funny when he's like it's like a work of art. What the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, all right, you know, get get a bit big for your boots, and you get that one good line from your one who's like. I mean, he, he's like, it's a masterpiece. It's that's like, not Coldplay. It's, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. And I'm like, that's good, because, you know, that's what a Coldplay fan would say. But, like, the whole idea of it then is, you know, 
he eventually puts two and two together. You get that montage sequence of him of him checking out stuff on the internet and seeing what does exist and what doesn't. He's got a Fratelli's poster on as well, so I'm like, how am I gonna root for this guy? I don't know. But like <laughs> essentially one thing leads to another. Uh he becomes a hit. He becomes a local hit, he becomes a big hit. Ed Sheeran, as himself, takes notice of him, brings him on tour. Um, eventually gets swallowed up by um, not Kristen Wiig, which is what I wrote down for so long because I was like, I can't remember her name. I can't remember her name. It's not Kristen Wiig until I do. It's Kate McKinnon, who, I'm sorry, not very good. Like, And she's the evil American record label manager person who basically forces him into these situations and he eventually gets swallowed up by the industry. Isn't having a great time of it. Eventually a couple people come forward and confront him with being like, we actually know who the Beatles were. It wasn't just you. But like, the weird thing throughout this film, and again, you also have the through line of Lily James just being at home pining for him. The weird thing is that, like, he is shown to not enjoy the success that he gets. He's he's shown to bristle from it and not enjoy the world and clearly has some guilt about what he's done. You know, plagiarism, mate. But not enough. Like, not at all. There's never, like, a scene where he's like, this is wrong. I've made a mistake. This is morally wrong these aren't my songs, these are the best songs ever written by other people and I shouldn't be doing this. It's more like a fear of getting caught and or just not being happy with the lifestyle. Yeah, there's more. it's more of a fear of getting caught it's because really the two weird. kind of mega fans show up at press events and they have like a yellow submarine that they wave and he's like, fuck, they know and stuff like that. But there's no consequences. It's yeah. really strange. Like, There's no stakes, there's no consequences. Everything kind of works out for him just, like, just fine. By the end of the movie, um, he confesses all at a gig. The fan, the crowd immediately turn on him, which I don't think they would do. Um, he also manages to break up Lily James's relationship with some bloke, which seems to be a perfectly fine, happy relationship, and no one seems to have a problem with this either. It ends with them together and him as like a, a teacher or something, and like it's fine. And the moral is, you know, I guess, um, be happy with what you've got and see what's in front of you and don't take it for granted. The one thing I am, of course, leaving out is the jaw-dropping moment an hour and a half into the film which again we are literally a year late to this so everyone knows and i knew because again how could you not i knew the whole plot of the film but this in particular for anyone who doesn't know and this is never explained either again this is a sci-fi alternate timeline and there's a section where he is given an address by the two super fans who also know and they're like maybe this will help you out and he goes and knocks on a door at a cottage and Opening the door is <laughs> Robert Carlyle, uncredited as John Lennon. <laughs> Robert Carlyle. It's fucking Robert Carlyle, oh, and I was like, my fucking god, unbelievable. Robert Carlyle is John Lennon, and like John Lennon's alive in this. Universe. I was about to say the like whatever they did to his face looks like he he isn't able to physically move it. It's a good makeup lot. job. In fairness, there's no question when that door opens. It looks he, like that's not a good makeup job. Oh, but when that door opens, you know who it is, right? Surely you know who it is because is that of the, the glasses. Definition of <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing John Lennon glasses and has John Lennon hair, but he's oh, and he's wearing a hat he's a the makeup fisherman. is awful there's nothing going on in the makeup that is, is signifying to me that that is john lennon so john it lennon a 78 year old john lennon by the it way it also seemed like all of his lines had been adr'd it didn't seem like he was actually uh, i don't know I, that oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, whole bits a whole thing let's let's play a snippet from that scene john yeah have you had a happy life very not successful but you said very happy that means successful did the job i enjoyed day after day sailed the world fought for things i believed in and won a couple of times found a woman i loved fought hard to keep her too 
live my life with her. Fought hard for her. It would complicate. Sorry, what was your name? Jack. There were complications, young Jack. Loss and gain. Prejudice and pride. But it all turned out just fab. So John Lennon shows up in this movie as like a spirit guide. A Yoda, if you will. And again, it's weird because, like, again, it, it, it summarizes that, I guess. Well, you mustn't. All you need is love. But also, like, <laughs> like, I guess, well, I guess he never joined the Beatles in this universe, but then also the Beatles technically existed in this universe because other people also remember them. But the point is that the Beatles never happened. He wouldn't have been shot dead in the street. So I guess, you know, it's, it's, he's living a comfortable lifestyle as a painter. But then you also have this weird hero worship of John Lennon where he's like, he, his advice to him is, if you love someone, just tell her and it'll all work out. And I'm like, that's not actually a guarantee. But also it's like, he's like, I fought for her, you know, I fought for the woman I love. And we had we had her ups and downs, but I fought for her. And he's like, oh, you fought for her? And I'm like, domestic violence, domestic violence, domestic violence, domestic violence. I'm like, why are we like, why are we like lionizing? Oh, well, of course we're lionizing because the entire film lionizes the fucking Beatles to no end. I mean, like, I want to talk about the supreme arrogance of the premise, but I'm worried that I'm going in circles here. The, uh, the very idea in this film, right, the very idea that nobody had ever heard of the Beatles is just so impossible as to sustain the plot of a film. And look, it works from a, yes, they are in fact the most well-known band of all time point of view, but there's an inherent snobbiness slash backslapping elitism in the foundations of this whole thing. At every turn, we are told that every single song the Beatles have ever written is the best thing ever. I will, like, I'm aware that Yesterday is, I think it's like the most covered song ever. But like when they listen to it and they're like, that's the greatest song that's ever been heard. I was like, like I would definitely have like, there's a lot of Beatles songs that I love that are not in this film. <laughs> so you're actually just picking the most well-known ones. Like him singing Opla Dee, Opla Da, which is also what John Lennon called granny music. Like, what, <laughs> like there's just, there is a lot of a weirdness around what they consider to be like artistry and, I know it's and meant real to be, music. I know it's meant to be exaggerated, but even like when you have like the press conferences and stuff, and, or even at Sharon's character, like everyone is like, how did you write these songs? And I'm like, there's no one in the world, I don't think, maybe back in the fucking day when everything was new, nobody like does an interview with a journalist and they're like, how did you write track four? I, I've never, it's like, th- this like, is not like... Paul McCartney credits the Beatles as writing the first ever heavy metal song, which was Helter Skelter. But like, we're now in modern day times where heavy metal music exists. <laughs> and like... That's also bollocks, but like, whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, if you want to believe it, fine. But no, I don't know. I just felt that it was so... Not that I, I knew what I was going into here, but there was just... They're basically sucking the Beatles off the entire film. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. And it's also Take weird... Take a break. That... If someone, you know, if if you really want to uh, commit to the premise of this, like, you know, music has gone on without the Beatles. So, like, no one's doubting the influence that the Beatles have on music. But if they didn't exist and you're still, like, I mean, he searches the Rolling Stones existed. So, you, you know, a couple of people seemingly don't exist. But if someone came along with, like, back in the USSR today, you'd be like, this is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, it had yeah. a time and a place, yeah, and like it, it was influ- it was influential. But like, 
it's so anachronistic now that like for someone just to be like oh look at all these songs like there's no denying that um lots of the songs have like incredible timeless melodies that you know anyone who came along with you'd be like okay that's great but like even like the like recording no one's playing it in the club is that what you're trying to say Higgs <laughs> <laughs> perhaps yeah um but yeah they, people they just, are doing they, hey jude remixes is they just I'm have hearing. like a lot of very like simple songs which which are good but i feel that this movie doesn't really analyze the fact that like what a world without them would be like and they also don't take into account that like a lot of it is just like I mean, this is very much a Paul McCartney movie. It's interesting that John Lennon is at the end, but like most of the songs in the movie are very Paul-leaning. Paul-based, yeah. um, I wonder if they got a deal, because obviously like the Beatles are famously very pricey to license and put it, into stuff. In that Uproxx article, there is like, there was a guy set about to clear all the Beatles songs that could potentially be in it. I'll also just say as a side note, Jack Barrett's original script being called Cover Version is a better title. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. But uh, it does strike but yeah, me as basically like... Basically, it was going to cost them, with a small budget originally, so much money to yeah. clear all the Beatles. I songs. have to wonder if there was like some kind of like weird golden handshake deal somewhere down the line, because again, they get their fucking money's worth, I will say. But also, uh, cover version is it, it, cover version's a good uh, title for a film that is not this grandiose, I would say. <laughs> like, it works, but like I could see... I guess the original idea wasn't as... But I was thinking, like, you know, for example, ideas. I was like, Mackenzie Kirk is a leading man. No, thank you. But I could see an independent film called Cover Version that is about this. Even, like, sure, like, Scream's original title was Scary Movie. I mean, like, there are often, like, cases where you're like, yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the basics of it work pretty well, but I can understand why they went in the direction that they went in for the mass market appeal. But at the same time, also, in this, not that this artist is incredibly influenced by the Beatles, but you talk about the idea of, like, these songs in, say, 2019 when this film comes out, when I presume the film is set, and the idea that these songs are fairly simple, you know, from a writing point of view or whatever, and they're accessible, and it's like, okay, fair enough, but we have Ed Sheeran in the film as Ed Sheeran, multi-fucking-platinum superstar, already winning at life based on compositions of this style. Again, he's much more influenced by the likes of Damien Rice than, say, the Beatles, but... It, it doesn't it, it doesn't feel how is it revolutionary how is jack malik revolutionary with music when similar acoustic based stuff and so on is out there and you literally have the fucking poster boy in your movie who and okay hot take dave's hot take in the movie ed sheeran not bad playing ed sheeran would have preferred chris martin i think he's better at self-deprecation it's an exaggerated version of yeah. himself but he's yeah. but also but also it's not exaggerated enough because he shows up and you figure, oh, he's going to be a wanker. He's going to be like a total prick. And there's hints of it, but generally he's still a good dude. Yeah. You know, he doesn't fuck anyone and over. The thing that just challenge someone just straight up to a write-off. Yeah. <laughs> I weird hated that bit. I think I'd actually, I think I got up and made a cup of tea because I was like... Pfft. You can write the best song in the next 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 And then he plays a song and it's like something about penguins or something in it. And I was like, of course he'd write a song. But then he concedes him. though and he's like, I can't compete with this. I could never compete with that because Jack Mallet comes out with the long and winding road. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, best Ed, uh, the, best, the, the best Ed Sheeran gag in the movie is, of course, that his ringtone is an Ed Sheeran song. I'm like, yeah, that is kind of funny. I, I don't points where, yeah, like the hum, the humour does... I almost said humor. Um, you were just land, 
But like it, the as the film goes on, it completely drops off cliff. Especially 100%. because Kate McKinnon shows up as the evil embodiment of the music industry, and literally all she does is make sarcastic quips. And it's like I get it, I totally understand it. That's okay. You mentioned earlier on, by the way, um, how do we convey Jack Malik going from small town nothing to global superstar? And they do it with a very very awkward virally montage. It looks disgraceful. And here's what it sounds like. So he, okay, here's the plan. We're gonna take the five best songs, we'll put them online, right? No visuals, just the music, the enigma of Jack Malik. And then we wait until we've fixed all of this and we release an astonishing, era-defining double album that changes popular music forever. It's your standard, like, you know, here's lots of Instagram hits and numbers going up and yada yada, blah, 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 blah. So Jack Malik, right? Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about performance and portrayal and presentation, I guess. Um, is the actor good? And also, does is the character a feel-good, rootable hero, or is he a bit of a prick? Um, I just did not get the charm of him at all. He seems to be, like, a pretty good singer. I think it's him singing the songs. Um, and is good with the guitar. But yeah, I didn't find myself rooting for him. I just didn't care. I didn't care if he got the girl. I didn't care if he got mega famous. Um... Because I don't think there is that much at stake for him. And even when like him and Lily James have this big moment where she's just like, she says the weirdest line ever where she's (laughs) like, I'm always in the friend column, but how do I get into the and I love her column? And then she's talking about how she's gotten a boyfriend and Jack's like, oh, what? And she's just like, he puts me in the right column. And I'm like, what are you talking about these columns? <laughs> and it's just like, it's so weird. It's like, that's not, like you could easily have used a musical reference to get across the point that he doesn't see her as a romantic interest, but as a friend. And it's like, why would you choose that? But he just seemed to be a really rude guy who was annoyed that he didn't get the things he thought he wanted and just kept being like, oh, I have to go back to teaching. And it's like, yeah, it's like, that's what, not that bad. Yeah, it's, it's like, what, <laughs> what, what a disaster. I'd have yeah, to go and have a stable career. <laughs> it's yeah, like, oh, no. and like I, like, I guess he's living at home with his parents, but like, at least he is that available to him. It's not like he's like on the streets kind of thing. It just seemed all a bit, a little bit spoiled and a bit self-obsessed. 
Um, I think Himesh Patel is good in this. Certainly, like, you know, as you, as you mentioned, kind of early door, isn't it? The first 20 minutes is like, okay, this guy, like, I've never seen him before. Don't watch EastEnders. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, he's pretty charming. And, you know, I kind of liked their relationship, him and Lily James, early on. Um, but, yeah, the, the more it goes on, it's like, and it's he's a victim of the fact that there are no stakes in this movie. It doesn't really know what it wants to do. But yeah, his character changes, but not in a way that you would, um, it, you know, it it should in a movie that's kind of this like rote where it was like, oh, he gets success and suddenly he becomes an asshole. And this one, he's kind of like, you know, he wants to, be, he doesn't really want to be with her, but, but then he does. He doesn't. He wants he fame, but then he doesn't want fame. Interested? He seems to be, be like, "Oh wait, I have loved you all my life." But kind she's, of thing. she's interested like, in him the whole time. Like she's looking at him with like big, gigantic eyes the whole the whole movie from the get go. Like she's very thirsty in this movie. Her character is broken. Her character is ridiculous. Like she's no agency of her own. Uh, she's apologetic for everything she does and how she looks. And again. You can put all the fucking shit pink dressing gowns on Lily James you want. It's Lily James. Like, this is ridiculous. I know, because there was a point where she comes down and she's like, oh, I'm a mess. I'm like, you're just it's, Lily James in my mom's dressing gown. Like, like, geez, like, 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 bring her on to set on a date where she's hung over to fuck and don't give her any makeup and maybe. <laughs> but even then, I'm sure, no, it's like the idea again that you're just like it's such a writer's conceit it's such a male writer's conceit you know i didn't really get a lot of chemistry between them because i was just like i don't believe this character like it's too she's she's not a loser but the character comes across as she's meant to be this loser and like she's all she like everything she does is defined by what he does and it's just it's very kind of like okay yeah grand cool whatever and eventually he'll come to his senses you know and it's like the fuck off like but even like yeah that and like their 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 main conflict is that you know, there, there's a scene where he goes to LA and he comes back and he meets up with her and they go out for dinner and they're, they get hammered and then they kiss and they're basically just like, oh, she's like, oh, I can't be with you because I'm a school teacher. And, and like, you're a big, you, big you can't be. And it's like, what? Like, why? <laughs> like, why, why is this a thing? They, 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 they don't go any further with it. Um, maybe at the, at the kind of like, they don't want to make, Jack seemed dislikable. Like, do you know who they cut out of this movie? Like an entire character? Yeah. Uh, like a famous person? Really famous person. Uh, There's a whole subplot. Playing themselves? No, she's in the trailer. Anna de, uh, de Armas is in the trailer for this movie. Her what? Ent- her, ent- her character like was nice cut... Like Out Lady? Yeah, yeah, she mm. was cut out entirely. I think she's meant to be a guest in When He Goes on Corden. And she was meant to be a love interest. So then you kind of have a, oh, oh there's like a, a new woman. And then maybe he's like, she wants to hook up with him. And then, oh, Lily James. Like, they act like they're meant to be like, does he have a 30th birthday in this? Am I right towards? There's a scene where he has a birthday and they go up to his his room when he's still living with his parents. They act like teenagers in this movie. They act like they're like, literally like, you're the first yeah, relationship so, I've yeah, ever yeah. had. Like, even when she's like, oh, was there any other women? He was like, oh, some some woman in Russia. And it's like, what? And then when she gets with Gavin, is it, I believe? Gavin the guy, is the, the guy who produces his first male Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> Again, by the way, you're like, give me a scene where he's being horrible. And he's, but he's, that never happens. And you're just yeah, like, he's he just gets, a nice guy. He gets publicly humiliated and gets like his dream girl taken off him. And it's like. Yeah, and then at the end he's like, 
I guess I always knew you were the better man, Jack. What and I was like, fuck? when did you think that? Because I don't think he's the better man. Like, again, like, this guy this is, like, like, not a bad guy. Like, like, like you're, like, you're willfully breaking up this relationship because you're being selfish. Like, it doesn't... There's one very weird thing that I just did not understand at all. I feel like teachers get an awful pummeling in this film. Because they just make it out as if teaching is the saddest, most pathetic profession that you could ever have. And there's a bit where... He's like, I'm going to give up singing. I'm not going to do this anymore because like my latitude set was shit and I hate this. I'm going to go back to being a teacher. And she's like, you can't go back to being a teacher because you'll give all your talent to the children and then you'll have none left. Fucking mental. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry, that, that, what are you talking about? A, like, even if you did, that's not a bad thing because you're inspiring children to be creative themselves. Also, I'm pretty sure he could have a little bit left over for himself. Like, she seems to be like, you can never ever be a teacher but then at the end of the film he goes back to being a teacher and you're like happy James has decided because now they're together being a teacher is actually all right also I don't buy the fact that like so at the end of the movie you know he's he basically like says hey Ed I need a favor Ed Sheeran's playing a show and he shows up to play like his own fucking gig in the middle of Ed Sheeran's gig which I'm like this was remarkable this doesn't happen because <laughs> like, it seemed like he was like you know when Ed Sheeran introduces him it's like that thing where it's like he's gonna do a song it's like no he brought a brass section <laughs> like <laughs> yeah completely takes over Ed's show for like half an hour presumably pulls Lily James out of the crowd tells her he loves her while she's backstage again the whole like if you if you want to if you want to get and I'm sure there are podcasts out there that are like this is the the biggest example of toxic masculinity out there because it kind of fucking is but like you know fucking cooking your man in the crowd and then like humiliating lily james who's backstage being like what like like this is like a private conversation would have been better you know like and, and but and then of course he basically goes listen i didn't write any of my songs they're written by you know four great men from liverpool yada yada and the crowd immediately start turning on like it's a wrestling match and i'm like first of all i don't think that would happen I don't think anybody would fucking care. And the notion that... Because also, like, if no one remembers the Beatles, no one knows those four men's... But also, he's like, I didn't, I didn't write my own songs. And they're like, boo! And it's like, they don't... They're an Ed Sheeran gig? Do you think they give a shit? Like, they don't give a fuck. But also, the idea that, like, career over, he's now just a teacher. I'm like, no, he could still be famous and successful. That wouldn't just evaporate overnight. I don't think that that's the case. Like, there needs to be the like the Groundhog Day thing where this is all undone. He wakes up, like, he gets hit by a bus again or something. And, like, yeah. it's back to normal. I, I thought it was maybe the, the it idea never happened, that it's like, you know, like... Yeah, that, like... So he recorded a couple of songs and then Kate McKinnon's character, Deborah. I think that's her name. Yeah. Um, Evil record label person, basically. Yeah. And uh, she's like, we're going to have a double album and that will be like the thing. So the suggestion is, is that he will record all of the popular Beatles songs because there's never a point in this film where there's like... He's like, I'm going to do just the white album. I'm going to yeah, do just Revolver. Like, yeah, it's just like there's there's no kind of like off the beaten track Beatles songs, which would suggest that Jack Balak can only remember the really popular ones, which would also suggest the band that he thinks are the greatest band of all time, he only knows the popular songs of. Well, that's just a commentary on uh, people's fickleness and how no one really listens to the lyrics, isn't it? Which, in fairness, is not is a good little job. But I don't think the film is trying to make that job. I will say, no, though... because it's trying to make it seem like he does really care about yeah. the music, but then in no way does it, like you were saying earlier, it doesn't actually show how anyone 
really cared about the Beatles. Yeah, he himself struggles to remember some of the lyrics where you're like, yeah, fair enough, that is kind of funny and whatever. Also, yeah, sorry. Lyrics and rugby are hard. <laughs> I know them because of that new metal song that I Godhead like. Song. Godhead song. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah it was I love this. Like, it's the Godhead the song. It's not the Beatles song. It's not the, it's not the, the it's, Godhead cover it's, of the Beatles it's song. It's Eleanor Rigby the Godhead by song. Godhead, which, which <laughs> listener, sounds a bit like this. Eleanor amazing cover of uh, Alan Rigby by Godhead of course a band that Marilyn Manson signed to his record label which uh, I think they were the only signees possibly and didn't really happen for them I did want to play one more clip though just to give you a sense of you know how big bad marketing swallows up the person Jack Malik whatever thing Uh, Lamarney Morris from New Girl shows up for one scene in a big room in which it's full of sycophants and every time Jack Malik opens his mouth they're all clapping and they're all you know happy and whatever the fuck and they basically dominate his whole thing and because uh, yeah I want to talk about the uh, the depiction of the music industry before we wrap this up so the film of course because of course it does everything is turned up to fucking 12 in this movie so this is what yesterday posits a record label meeting with a big star sounds like now uh, Jack I do believe I speak for everyone in attendance today when I say <laughs> it is the climax of our careers to be working on this mind-bending album with you. Give it up, y'all. You don't have to clap every time, but thanks very much. It's the modesty. Give it up for modesty. Seriously. That's what he does right off the top. <laughs> now, as you all know, the songs we released online have created unprecedented excitement. So now upon us falls the mighty task of packaging everything together into one single irresistible album. Now, Jack came up with some title suggestions himself, and uh, (laughs) we worked on some of those. You know, I especially got a kick out of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, it's okay to laugh because it's funny. It is. It's uh, a lot of words, Jack. But ultimately, in the end, we just felt it was uh, uh, too confusing, right? too confusing. And uh, the White Album has some diversity issues. How? That's a lot of white, Jack. And I know you were pretty enthusiastic about Abbey Road. I got to say, it didn't have a lot going for it, if I could put it to you like that. Uh, it's just a road with a bunch of people driving down the wrong side of the street. <laughs> there you go. Um, ultimately, yeah, I mean, like, it's very, I guess it's fairly critical of the music industry, which is strange because I feel like, you know, this is meant to celebrate the Beatles who were made by the music and according to this film, basically invented music itself and thus the industry that surrounds it. And again, listen, you know, I'm not a Beatles fan. I'm not here to tear them down either. I totally recognize the huge fucking influence and impact that they have to this day. And that's cool. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But the idea that you can't love them, I struggle with. And that's why I'm also kind of confused like by the tonality of this movie, where it's like, well, do you love music and do you hate music? The Kate McKinnon character is just so broad that I'm like, what's the 
it's so easy it's like shooting fish in a barrel like who cares like i mean why bother ed sheeran's character as a bit up himself but kind of in his own bubble i think works better because at least it's like okay cool like you know it's 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 a real musician who's sending himself up the kate mckinnon character to me is like one too many it's a very like rogue almost like 70s or 80s record label exec like she at one stage says to him drink the poison chalice she uses those terms. This movie is so literal at times. Um, yeah, she's just like very, very mean spirited in like a movie where everyone's kind of like just nice. And like there are no, um, there are no stakes because nothing really that say like Jack does makes you like think any differently about him. You're just like, oh, okay, he's a bit indifferent, but like he hasn't done anything bad. Well, Kate McKinnon just comes in and it's just like all scorn. She negs him a lot. She, says that he's ugly he's clearly very handsome um and it's like you also have ed sheeran on your label don't you but yeah the scene that that we just listened to (laughs) like i mean in a movie where we're gonna let that sidle by and see if either of us notice that you're takedown of ed sheeran i will say though that there is i i had the same i'm I'm saying that only in the context of like her being so awful to him when it's like she does say image she does say to jack malik she's like is this the best you can look and obviously she's managing Ed Sheeran, which his whole thing is that he's like, I don't, you know, I don't make a big effort in how I look. I just look how I look and it's fine. And again, that's allowed. That's no problem. But as I, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm never up for shaming how somebody looks. I think something like Ed Sheeran, like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not fair, but like I did once see that there was like a, when his last album came out, he was in HMV and he's wearing the t-shirt of the album. And like, so are all the staff. And it's like, just looks like a member of HMB staff, <laughs> like like, which is fine. Like that, his whole fucking thing is every man charm. That's his thing. But yeah, it is kind of baffling that in one in one breath you have this idea that like, yeah, I'm like, sure Ed Sheeran with his millions and million millions, he's fine, is absolutely fine. And, and as you know, he's he's totally Ed Sheeran's gonna be okay, everybody. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's like the idea of like you know, oh Himesh Patel. Like I mean, like all he does is like slick his hair back and like wear a smart suit. It's like he looks fine. <laughs> like it's not a problem. Like. And even to get to the the scene that you're talking about is, yeah, it's just like this whole, it's like, it's so cynical of the industry and like this whole group of people just like braying along at like anything someone says being like, oh, you know, even the way it's framed, it's like, um, Jack is kind of like at the top of the table, like Like a fisheye lens or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like basically every second drink is like a kale juice or something. It's just like, it's. It's like, it's so, so broad. I do think they had good notes about the fact that he wanted to call the album Sgt. Peppers and just makes no sense at all. Um, and then they're like, oh, the White Album? That's kind of problematic, you know? It's like, have you listened to... That was to- a little bit funny. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, but also like... Every now and then, one of these guys yeah, is going to land. there'll be like, like a line that will hit and you'll be like, oh, And yeah, also like, if you listen to the lyrics of Beatles songs, they might be a bit of a, a struggle <laughs> yeah. in 2020. And also, uh, Lamarney Morris is very funny. Also in Game Night, by the way, referenced on the previous episode, good little comedy if you want to watch a good little 90-minute comedy. Sponsored by Game Night, apparently. Okay. Actually, in the film, he repeats the lyric, she was just 17, you know what I mean? About four times. Definitely can't be saying that. <laughs> different time, you know, different time, Norma. Like, you know, it's like... Uh, what, 2019? <laughs> but I guess, it, once again, it goes back to it's the, just funny the fickleness it's of like, the audience. It's a particular lyric. There's actually only a handful of songs he sings in this. Yeah. It's not like it doesn't gauge a broad range, like I previously said, of anything. It's just like there's a couple of songs that are repeated a number of times. 
Um, also, surely if the record label really didn't like his look, they would just be like, we will pay you to write music. These people can sing it. No? I guess. I don't know. I mean, like, it, it, I don't think the film is that interested in, like, getting into the machinations. I, th- I think it's more yeah, like, it's like taking, like, sideways <laughs> jobs. too deep there, really. I think so. Uh, so I guess wrapping up, um, I referenced it earlier, but we haven't actually heard of it. So just to give you a taste of, like, the moment where he comes clean and tells the world and, you know, it's basically your big climax of the movie. It sounds like this. All the songs I've sung tonight were really written and performed by four men called John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. The Beatles. They were the real geniuses. Me, I'm just the sort of go-between to, well, get their astonishing stuff into the world. And I, I, I passed their amazing work off as my own so I could look like I was amazing too. I want you all to know that I'm not going to take any money for this work that isn't mine. So you can have all the songs for free. Rocky, do it. Right, here goes. They're being released for free online now. And I'd love to not take any more praise for it. So I'm... I'm so sorry. And so, yeah, I mean, like, again, like with Eurovision, I feel like what I've done here is I've inadvertently adapted a fairly passive stance to a film that I actually found, like, whatever Eurovision, I, I actually was, I felt by the end of this film, I was annoyed by it. I, I thought it was genuinely disgusting. Because, again, it's like, you're using the Beatles to be, like, the best band of all time, yada, yada, yada. You're trying to make this, like, weird kind of critique about the music industry that you're not really that committed to. I didn't find the hero's journey all that compelling or rootable. Um, I didn't buy the Lily James stuff whatsoever. It just felt like a Richard Richard Curtis circle jerk by the time it was over. And it was like, okay, cool. I get it. You know, whatever. And it's kind of annoying because like, I did like those first 10 minutes. I really was kind of like, I actually was kind of like, fuck, is this going to be good? <laughs> like, am I, <laughs> like, am I going to be like, oh, fuck, it's good. And then by the end of it, I was like, I hate you, film. I hate you for existing. Like, I fucking hate it. One out of five. Again, it's just really like, it's, I, I think there's something genuinely insidious lurking beneath the surface of this movie. And I think it's kind of disgusting that Richard Curtis um, fucked over another writer to make it and very much patted himself on the back, brought his mate Danny Boyle in for like, you know, a very easy gig. I don't think it advances anybody else. I think it is kind of horribly incestuous, much like the evil music industry itself that it seeks to fucking critique and hector. Um, Nah. And also, I'm sorry, that John Lennon section is horrendous. Hugely questionable. What about the boat that was called Imagine? Oh my god, listen, I, I, I just don't know what I, I just don't know what to say. And al- and also, John, John Lennon's like, you know, don't hug me, Asian man. Like it's like, okay, right, whatever. Yeah, no, horrendous. I fucking despise this movie. I've been very like, you know, whatever. You know, it's a bit of whatever. But no, I think it's I, I think it's I think it's disgusting. Um, I don't know if I'd use the same words that you're using, but I... A disgrace. <laughs> for the most part, I agree with the sentiment. This is a, a one out of five film for me. It is... So obnoxious. Like, yeah, it's it's so obnoxious. It's so... Proud of itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even even it's like its final joke. It's like its little joke about Harry Potter. It's oh, like, oh, yeah. Christ. I know apparently that was in the original script. Um, yeah, as if Jack Barth and... Richard Curtis both just, came up with the same ending punchline. Who's Harry Potter? And then you're like, oh, he's gonna he's gonna rip off Harry Potter because yeah. he hasn't learned anything. And it's, so the ending of Enemy, 
He's going to just go back to no, his old ways. No, he has learned because she's like, "Who's Harry Potter?" And he's like, "No one." But I, I don't believe him. I think <laughs> he's going to. I, 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 I think he's going to write. I think he's going to write eight. He's going to write eight hundred page novel that day. You know. <laughs> oh God! And then in the sequel, people are going to be like, "I remember J.K. Rowling. She said some things on Twitter." <laughs> 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 Fucking hell! Yeah, imagine it. And uh, it's, it's not going to happen. It's Joanna fine. Lumley as J.K. Rowling, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, like Jennifer I, Saunders probably actually. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of it. Like, I think this place, could, this movie could have gone lots of interesting places and been like, you know, a world without the Beatles is a world without oh, man. lots, lots of blissful, lots of music, Bliss. but also like, <laughs> you know, if if you could take Elvis out of the equation, it's like maybe a world without fandom, without stan culture. It's like that could be interesting. Lean into the sci-fi, but again, like similarly, I think with about time. The thing that I hate about it and the thing that I really dislike about Richard Curtis is that, like, the sci-fi elements of it were just, like, reverse-engineered for, um, like, saccharine manipulative bullshit. Um, <laughs> I stand by about time. Do you stand by this? Absolutely not. Um, yeah, one, one out of five. Again, like, when I first heard of this film's existence... I was like, oh, you know what? That's kind of a cool concept to think of. Like, yeah, what if the Beatles didn't happen? Then what are the knock-on effects? And what if this is the only guy to to remember such an incredible groundbreaking band? Wow. <laughs> but yeah, and it starts off like, well, the first 20 okay. minutes completely nosedives. How have you, um, sorry, how have you, how have you, kept, how have you kept this Beatles fandom away from the microphone for an hour and 20 minutes? Incredible groundbreaking um, band, you say. They are. They've created a lot of modern music. Wouldn't exist without them. I just, I just anyway, feel like anyway, we have the stones. Like, but, you know. uh, but yeah, especially it's just like its treatment of women is awful. Yeah, it's horrendous. Um, like women are either mean, bitchy executives or downtrodden, sad little teachers. Trophies. Who, yeah. yeah, are just there to have their to be someone's love interest, and uh, like. Just an absolute piece of shite. <laughs> okay. Glad we can all agree. Wow. Uh, is this the first time we've all been like universally one out of five on something? Probably. Um, what should I give your vision? I gave it two out of five. Two out of five. <laughs> I think it was two over here as well. Two, yeah, yeah, it's a one for me. It's definitely better than your, or your vision's definitely better than this. So. Uh, it's less offensive, I would say. Okay, so um, thank you. Next time on No Popcorn, something a bit different. <laughs> trailer for film there because this is a foreign language film and I jumped the gun and figured that there wouldn't be a very explanatory thing. That is a piece of music called Them by an artist called Niels Fram who did the soundtrack to a film called Victoria which is a film that I saw for the first time this year in the company of Dahi and uh, it's a film that Dahi Adrani is obsessed with so we're going to try our best to get him on for that episode as well. Um, It's an art house film. It's all shot in one take set over one night called Victoria as noted as well. That's the lead character my advice to anybody listening to me right now who's never seen the film is to not watch a trailer, um, not read a plot synopsis, and just watch the film if you can. 
Uh, I was very, very taken by it when I saw it back in January. I've kind of been looking for a reason to watch it ever since. And we were sitting here debating about what we would watch. And we've all come to the agreement that this is the one that we should. Higgs has never seen it before. Norma, you have. I have. I've seen it maybe three times now. The first time I saw it in the cinema, a guy did get sick. Wow. <laughs> because of the camera work? The, uh, yeah. The so kind due of to almost the motion take, sickness? Oh yeah, due to the one take nature. And it does take, there's a lot of like, it's... A, Two and, a half, a two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I don't want to give anyway mm. any plot lines before we actually yeah, get into. The I episode. didn't know the plot at all, and it, yeah. it did and not you go were much better off not yeah, knowing. It didn't go where I thought it would go. And um, yeah, that, yeah. The guy got sick in the back row of screen four in the lighthouse cinema. In the and back then, row, I know. Because normally it's the closer you are to the screen. Because I remember it, I saw Cloverfield in the second row, and genu- the two two people I went with had to leave. Because they had motion sickness and the two people who survived, including myself, were just <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we survived Cloverfield. Um, to get a t-shirt. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, it was their badge. <laughs> I survived Cloverfield. Second row. Um, yeah, so a guy got sick in the back row, saw it again in the cinema, and then I've watched it again at home. Um it is like my other piece of advice would be to try as best you can to watch it like curtains drawn, like nothing else around you. Going off or off. Yeah, 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 don't, like yeah. don't, it's not going to be the kind of thing you're going to get up and go to the bathroom and come back. Like just commit yourself to It's a very, very immersive thing. film. And it's I, quite long. I think it's, it's like two and a half. And yeah. Half and, and like, listen, I understand and I'm probably right there with you. Like I, I've gotten to the stage in my life where like the idea of a film shot in one take or even like a film that has a bravado one take, it doesn't really fucking appeal to me anymore too much because it can be a show off thing. I do think it works from an narrative point of view. I'll be very curious to see what you think about it. So, yeah. Uh, German. German. There we go. <laughs> I mean, already like, love it. It's, our, <laughs> it's part German. There are moments of English there and there are moments, moments of, English, of yeah. French. Yeah. So, like, less you know, the better for sure. Um, it's an atmospheric thing and the music plays a huge part in it as well. So, that's why we are crowbarring it in for this one because we thought, you know, we've done a couple yeah, of. He- yeah, we've done a couple of biographies and, like, leaning towards the heavy side with, like, a few episodes ago. And, like, we've done two, like, very questionable, terrible comedies. By the way, Seriously, a moratorium on comedies that are two hours long, please. Like, unless it's like The Nice Guys, which I don't even think is two hours long. Or your Walk beloved, Hard yeah. is two hours. Is, is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. It doesn't feel though, because it's No, because it's gas. <laughs> First of all, sorry, can I just say a few things here? King of Staten Island is not my beloved anything. I, I like the film. You're always on about it. Two hours 20. I think you love it. It's two hours 20 and it's a dramedy, my friend. It's You're not- seven out of ten or more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good film. Have you watched it yet? Have you... <laughs> What? No. Who has two and a half hours to watch the movie, David? All of us right now, unfortunately. Vicky Christina Barcelona and upsetting myself finding out that it was. You'd rather watch a Woody Allen movie than a Pete Davidson movie? I would rather watch Paint Fucking Dry than watch a Woody Allen I am tasking you both to watch King of Staten Island for the next episode. I'll You've see. got a couple of weeks before you record I'll again. see. Okay. Uh, that was yesterday. I'm going to watch The Old Guard, actually. <laughs> next up is Victoria. Yeah, and next up is me watching a corpse kill uh, approved yeah, film sorry, in the form the of The Old Guard. The chaotic energy of the, the end of this episode. Uh, listen, it's been it's been a couple... Of, we've, we've recorded two episodes back-to-back in which I have consumed two bottles of 660-milliliter wonderful beer that won't be named because they're not sponsored <laughs> the show. Uh, yeah, so listen, uh, until next time, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to uh, continue helping the show out. That'd be great. And uh, Norma, Dave, thanks very much, guys. Thank you. See you soon. My name is Dave Hanreddy. And to play us out, it's the Beatles. See ya. Get her into your heart Then you can start To make it better, better, better
podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenny's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenny.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at $6.95. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.